Okay, so I don't have to wear this up here. I'm just going to uh, briefly model it and then say tools for school, okay? On the back table, if you're like sitting there saying, hey, I want to be in the church in uh, a very practical application type of way in which I can go do something for somebody else, go on the back. There's a list of things you can buy. Like, for instance, this is a second grade supply list. What do the second graders need when they go to school? Get a backpack, fill it with these things, and uh, you will be blessing some children who can't afford that. I think you'd be amazed. You can uh, even talk to Troy and find out how much people don't have in our area. We're very blessed. And so if you're the kind of person that goes uh, to the store and you see a two-for-one deal, buy them, keep that one for you, give that other one away. Uh, it's a great way to bless somebody who needs it. Okay? So we thank you for doing that. And uh, Landon already said about the outdoor service coming up, that's going to be great. This past Wednesday night, um, Landon didn't mention this, probably too modest to say it, but they had an awesome youth event. And um, with the junior and senior high kids and getting ready for the start of the school year. And uh, a couple kids got baptized out at the pond uh, where they were at. Again, uh, their, it was their parents' pond and they were, couldn't wait for it and they're excited. And it was a, it was a great time. Uh, so we look forward to a couple weeks gathering together as a church family out at the Gipes house and uh, doing that. So I look forward to that. Let me say this. It is good to be back from vacation. I appreciate you allowing your pastor uh, to take a couple Sundays off here and there. And I took two off in a row, and I got one more coming yet. Uh, but those two Sundays away, uh, I would love to say it was refreshing, refueling, and refocusing. But I think I need another couple days to recover uh, from vacation. For, for those of you that, you know, you load up the van with the family and you go somewhere and you do a lot of driving and there's a lot of traffic or there's a lot of other things going on, you get back and you're like, it's so good to be home. Uh, that's the way I was feeling, even though we had a great time. And I thank you for your prayers. And I do know this. I want to, I, I while I was gone, um, here's the word that describes how I felt about this church while I was gone peace. Tremendous peace. Knowing that the worship team and uh, Pastor Landon and Pastor Ben uh, were able to just have church with the church. Um, I felt tremendous peace. Listening on the podcast to the messages and I want to thank Pastor Ben for kicking off the sermon series Milk the Meat with two great messages. If you've not listened to those messages go online. Find them. Listen to them. Um, God's Word is good, and it was delivered well. And I'd like to do this. I, we're going to continue in that series, and I'm going to try to recap, summarize what Pastor Ben preached about the last two weeks, which is a dangerous thing, because I know I'm not going to fully say all that he said and in the way he said it. But for those of you who weren't here in the last two weeks, let me give it a shot, okay? And like I said, it's sort of unfair to sum that up, but Here's the thing. In life, uh, there's a thing that's called transition that all of us have made. Hopefully, all of us here in this room have made this transition. And that is from darkness to light, from old to new, from not knowing God to now knowing God and having a relationship with Him. And I hope and pray that everyone in this room has gone through that transition to find out that, you know, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, his son, and into that new life in him. So there's this also a physical birthing process, which I don't have to explain to any woman in this room, okay? 
from a room, <laughs> I got a name in from a man, that's nice, from a room uh, into new life in this world. There's this birthing process, which obviously all of us have gone through, right? And there's also a continued process of growth then from infancy through childhood into adolescence and into adulthood. Now, in the same way, there is a spiritual growth process. And we can equate those two together when you look at Scripture. And that's sort of what we talked about in the last two weeks. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1, let me read uh, what Ben had shared. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you tasted that the Lord is good. So there's this spiritual birth that takes place when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and we begin this craving for pure spiritual milk, just as in the physical birth of a baby, there's a craving for milk for that child. But we're, here's the deal. We're no longer baby Christians. We have a new way of living now. We need to start growing up. Went on to read in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we want to stay away from that old life. So Pastor Ben laid out six really great ideas and principles that we could use in helping us grow, how to crave that pure spiritual milk. Let me remind you of those. And again, you can go on the podcast, listen to them. One was to pray. Bathe yourselves in prayer. Simple words, real, genuine, heart to heart. When I'm telling these children up here, while you're waiting, pray. We don't do enough of that. We don't do enough of talking to God and listening to God. Instead, we do things with our thumbs and fingers and look at the, and we forget. You know, this would be a good time just to unplug. You had a lot of that, okay? When you're sitting behind a wheel for, you know, six, seven hours at a span, there ain't nothing going on there except here and here. It's a good unplug. Read the Bible. Sign up online, devotionals, crack open the Bible, listen to other pastors, teachers, podcasts. Again, that was a challenge, number two. Number three was to meet with other Christians, whether it's Sunday morning, Wednesday night, uh, our youth events, special events, community groups, East men's group, you know, whatever it may be, come together with other Christians. Another way is to share your testimony, write it out, go on a mission trip. Another thing we can do is serve, volunteer, use your resources, tithe, and then show it, baptism, Lord's Supper. There was multiple things, there were six that he listed that we can do to create pure spiritual milk. So my question is, how are you doing in the past two weeks with all this? Sometimes when I'm sitting down with somebody, maybe going through a little counseling session, and it's like, okay, here's three things to work on, four things to work on. Right now, before you leave this room right now, what one thing are you going to do? We're not, we're not leaving this counseling session until you pick one. Because what do we do? We say, oh, yeah, I had to do some of those things. And we leave the place, and we never do them, do we? So my question to you is, on the last two weeks, if you heard the podcast or you listened and you are here, did you pick one of those six and start working on it? If not, why not? It's like walking out of here saying, boy, I guess I am hungry. I should go eat something. You leave here and you never eat. You would have never made it to today, would you, two weeks later? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Pick, pick something and start working on that. And as you grow and as you mature, things in your life start to change, right? That's good. That's good because we want to look more like Christ, right? The Holy Spirit's given to us, and we have the ability now to develop that spiritual fruit. So as newborn Christians, 
though we discover that there's a way we should live, it takes this growth period. And one way, um, as we're growing, we find out there's some ways we shouldn't live. And again, last week, Pastor Ben pointed out there is the sort of that dark side where it's really worldly, and we don't want to live too close to that. And then there's the other side that's really overly religious, too religious, where all these extra rules are added on. And that's not very good either. So there's a tough balance going on, but Jesus gives us direction on how to figure out that balance. And what was that? I think we're reminded in those six things was to pray, read the Bible, meet with other Christians, share your testimony, serve, show it. Here's the thing. Out of those six things, the goal is not to know God, but to know God. Oh, that ought to be a bumper sticker because that makes no sense. That would make people crash, right? The goal is to know, not know God, but know God, or know God, but not know God. What are you talking about, Rex? In Greek, there's a couple words for the word know, K-N-O-W, to know, okay? And the difference between those two Greek words is one Greek word means to intellectually know, and the other Greek word means to experientially know. I might know a certain ball player, for instance, by name. But if I were to go out to the field and shake his hand, he'd say, I have no clue who you are. I don't know you. We've never met before, but I know all about him. And throughout Scripture, we say, well, it's good to know this, intellectually know this, but there's times where it says you need to know God, which means you need to experience God. It's not just knowing facts about God. It's not knowing, this is what God would like. It's knowing him in a relationship. I just don't know my wife, Jenny, like facts about her, where she grew up, uh, our marriage date or anything like that. I think she likes her. I know her in a relationship in which we can hold hands and share our thoughts and our dreams and laugh and cry and things like that. There's, there's a different knowledge there. There's a different knowing experience. Are you following me on this? Okay. So through those six things in the past two weeks you've heard about, it isn't just going through one of those things so I can know more about God. It's knowing God more. There's a difference between knowing God and not knowing God. And I hope and pray that as you grow, you begin to know Him in an experiential way. Um, I'll tell you this, it's not an easy process, is it? Growing up is not an easy process. It's, it's not a light journey, and I hate to say it, none of us have arrived. We're all still maturing. It's like, okay, Rex, how old are you and how long have you pastored and all this? And so you're a pretty mature Christian. I'd like to say that, but you know what? I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And I still make sometimes infancy-type mistakes in my life spiritually. But I'd like to believe that I'm continuing growing. And that's my goal. We're all maturing. We should all be craving that spiritual milk to meet. And some of us have had this new relationship with Jesus Christ for over 40 years, and some of you have only had it for four years. So guess what? We're on different stages of our maturity with Christ. So it's, sometimes it's hard. And when you read through the Bible, Paul actually gets on some Christians about it and says, hey, stop judging them for, you know, or stop doing this. You know why? You've known Jesus for a long time, and these people haven't. So they're sort of immature in their faith, and that's not a negative thing. It's just they're just not where you are. So as a church, sometimes we do that. We sort of rip on each other. And, oh, well, you know, what they're doing, it's like, you know what? They're at a different stage of maturity. Instead of complaining or making fun of them, maybe we should pray for them and thank God where we're at, maybe we need to do some more growing too because we're not there yet either. Regardless of where we're at, we still need to grow. So do me a favor, open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. 
you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get you one. Book of Colossians, one of those small books in the New Testament. Get past Acts and Romans. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. Let me give you a little background to the book of Colossians. It's another one of those books written by Paul, another letter. I love what, how Pastor Ben said this. You know, whenever he, he introduced a book, he said, guess where that's where it's being written to? So Colossians was written to the church in the city of Colossus, right? Does that sound right? Yeah. A lot of times the Bible is a little bit more easier to understand than we think. But here's the thing. Did you know where he wrote this book, this letter? We call it a book. It was a letter. He wrote in prison. Isn't that awesome? Our church leaders wrote a lot of their things in dire situations. And this time it was in prison. You're reading a prison letter. When's the last time any of you wrote a letter that was written in prison? Anybody done that? No, don't, you don't want to admit that, all right? Well, my brother, no, okay. All right. So back up. Let's, let's sort of back up the train here. and let's find out how did he get here in prison before and why did he write this letter, okay? Let me ask you this question. What would it be like if wherever you go, your presence, you show up and a riot starts? You get scourged, which means they get a whip to your back. You get thrown in prison. You get stoned. And I don't mean like, dude, stoned. I mean like rocks are thrown at you, okay? okay? Um, you're left for dead. And yet you see and all this terrible stuff, yet you see all these incredible miracles and eye-opening things that God does. And it's like, I'm telling you, everywhere you show up, this bad stuff is coming, but then you see God showing up in an incredible way. Tens of thousands of people converted to Christ. Earthquakes opening up prison doors. Young men raised from the dead. Some people want to kill you, and some people are calling you gods. Can you imagine that? Everywhere you show up. You just sort of drive around Fulton County, Williams County, you know, Henry County, and you sort of pull into a town and it's like, hey, you know, you know, you're getting thrown in prison, getting rocks thrown at you, and, but yeah, you see people come to know Jesus. Then you go into the next town, and then an earthquake is shaken, and, and then more people come to know Jesus, and somebody gets healed, and it's like, man, everywhere I go, crazy stuff happens. The risen Lord Jesus Christ has even appeared to you and said, you're my chosen instrument. You are going to do great things for me. You're going to bear my name before Gentiles and kings. What would it be like to have that life? That's Paul's life. And you know this is what the Lord wants you to do. Wherever you go, believers warn you and they prophesy. You know, they're coming up to you and they're saying, you don't want to go to that town today. They're going to throw rocks at you. You don't want to go to that town today. They're going to whip you. You don't want to go to that town today. They're going to throw you in prison your, your Christian brothers and sisters are coming up and telling you that, but you're like, okay, but God's Holy Spirit has solemnly told me about these afflictions as well, but he's also said, go. So let me ask you this. Would you go? Paul did. Paul did. So he goes to Jerusalem. He visits the temple. A riot starts. <laughs> Why not? That all usually happens when he shows up. He gets dragged away, gets beaten. Roman soldiers intervene. They arrest him, take him to protective custody. So he's now in protective custody in the midst of chaos, turmoil. The Lord appears to Paul in his cell and says, Take courage, for as you've solemnly witnessed 
to my cause in Jerusalem, you must also witness in Rome. Hey, Paul, I know it hurts. You just got beat up and you're in prison. Take courage. You've done well here. Now you're going to go to Rome and do the same thing. But I'm still in prison. Yep, hold on. Meanwhile, 40 Jewish assassins are waiting outside planning to kill you. Can I have this whole section right here just stand up? I'm going to make a guess. It's not quite 40, maybe 20-ish, 30-ish around there, okay? Now, let's just pick one person over here. Tyson, thanks for volunteering. Could you stand up? You're going to be Paul. Now, can you imagine, you're in prison, Tyson, okay, and you've, you've had all kinds of bad things happen. God says, good job, okay? But you look out your cell window, and this is what you see. 40 assassins plus. How does that make you feel right now? Not good, thank you. You can all have a seat. Yeah, you know, sometimes we read through Scripture, but if you actually picture it, all these people want you dead. Yikes, what are you going to do? Well, you're delayed in the Roman legal system for a couple uh, years, sitting in prison, waiting for things to happen, right? You appeal your case to Caesar, and en route to Rome, uh, you, uh, you face hurricane force storms. You get blown hundreds of miles off course. Matter of fact, an angel stands before you and says again, don't be afraid, you're going to appear before Caesar while you're on this ship that's getting tossed by these hurricane force winds. And you're told also by that angel, you're going to be shipwrecked, but you'll be granted, you'll live your life. And sure enough, shipwreck. But all 276 people on board survive. There'll be no loss of life. You make it to shore, but in the driving rain and cold, you warm yourself by a fire. And while you're warming yourself by your fire, this venomous viper jumps out of the wood and snaps onto your wrist and your hand and bites you. Everybody around you says, you're a sinner. Because that's what they believed back then. If bad things happen to you, you're out of step with God, you're a sinner, your life is over. That's the way they believe. Sometimes we do the same thing, right? When something bad happens to us, we think God doesn't love us anymore. Well, that's what they believe too. So this viper snaps onto Paul's hand, and he just shakes it off. And he lives. He didn't die. They are waiting for him to swell up and die, and he didn't. And this little mini healing revival breaks out. Cool things happen. You make it to Rome, but while under house arrest, awaiting your hearing from Caesar, this gentleman by the name of Epaphras shows up. Never met him before, but you've heard about him. And he's from the church in Colossus, and he's besieged with all kinds of this false teaching. He comes up and says, we're a bunch of newborn Christians in this town. You don't know about it because you, you really didn't help plant the church, but I know you've heard of our church before. But we're being fed the wrong nutrients right now as baby Christians and we're growing up very unhealthy. We're following the wrong things. We're being raised in an ungodly way. And well, Paul's sitting there going, well, I didn't really help plant that church, and I've never really met these people before. But what does Paul do? Gets out a letter and pen, and he starts to write to this church while he's in prison. After all this has taken place in his life, he pauses, and he goes up on the supremacy of Christ. For it's by him, it's in him, and it's to him. He's the head of all things. We find Christ in everything, the fullness of God in bodily form. He's forgiven us. He's canceled our debt of sin and triumphed over the devil. And Paul's just riding away. And he goes, I died to the old me and I'm raised to the new one. So I put off the old self. And you know, here's the deal. We, if that was us in prison, we could probably curse the darkness at that point in time. But Paul flips on the light because Jesus is the light. 
So sitting in prison, Paul writes this letter to help a struggling church grow up. They're moving in a direction they think is harmless, yet Paul is summoned to this wayward church in Colossus to say, you're like newborn babies, but you're being fed the wrong stuff, and I want you to grow in the right way. And here we are, Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. So we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what He wants to do in your lives, and we ask Him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and you'll continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, you'll learn to know God better and better, not just intellectually, but experientially. Verse 11, we also pray that you'll be strengthened with His glorious power so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy. And finally, verse 12. Always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share the inheritance of that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. I want you to go back, and maybe you're an underliner, a highlighter, a note taker. If so, do this. Underline in verse 10 where it says, the way you live. And and then further it says, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And then at the end of verse 10 it says, you'll grow as you learn to know God better. Underline those. You can just underline a whole verse if you want, but there's three specifics right there. And the last part of verse 12 where it says, share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. See, Paul prays for these people. This is the first thing Paul does. Epaphras shows up and says, our church is immature and struggling Paul, you the man. You've been in prison here. God obviously is working through you. Christ is in you. We need your help. And Paul says, let me pray for your church first. So he prays. And this is part of his prayer. And as he was writing it out, he says, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that your maturing is evident. I want people to see you growing up. He prays that they know God better and better so that they will live and with evidence of new life, a fruitful life. Read on in verses 13 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Paul explains sort of the spiritual birth canal going on here in these verses, showing us how we are the rescued ones. Now again, I know Pastor Ben sort of spoke on this. It's Christ who's doing all the work. He's rescuing us from darkness. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he transfers us into the kingdom of his son, into light. How does he do that? Verse 14. The purchasing of our freedom through his blood on the cross. That's how. Rescuing, transferring, purchasing, forgiving. Jesus does that for us. Let's read on verse 15. And let's read through 19, 15, 19. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Let me hear you say supreme. Well, let's do it again because, listen, we're not just throwing this out. Listen, God is not the, the big man in the sky. He's not a good coach. He's supreme. So let's say his name like it's supreme. Let me hear you say supreme. 
Yes. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heavens and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything's been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began. And he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is the body. He's the first of all who arise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. How does this new life happen? How does this all begin? It begins with the name Jesus Christ. Let me hear you say Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. That's where our spiritual birth takes place, through him. Okay? And again, I know some of this may be a little repetitious from what you've heard the last two weeks, but I want to set this as we go forward, okay? Now, read on to verse 21 and 22. This includes you who were once far away. You were once far away. Let's admit, we were all there. We didn't know who Jesus Christ, even though you maybe grew up in a church somewhere, there was a point in time where you surrendered to him. But before that, you were just playing the game. You were going to church, and because that's what mom and dad did. You got drugged there as a kid. Well, that's, that's what we do, right? We go to church on Sundays or we read this Bible. I'm not really sure. But at some point in time, it all clicked, and you surrendered. You asked for forgiveness. Christ came into your life. Okay? Before that, you were once far away from him. You were his enemies, separated by evil thoughts, actions. Verse 22, yet now, let me hear you say yet now. Yet now, because here's the good part. He's reconciled, he's brought us together through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence. You're holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fall. This is what you once were and this is what you are now. You're alive now in Christ, brand new. Welcome to the world, welcome to the light. Now, have you ever looked back at childhood pictures? And this mainly goes to adults. And I know sometimes adults, you look at your kids and grandkids, you look back when they're babies, and you're like, oh, I, I miss those days. Some of you say that, right? Some of you are like, I'm so glad we're not there. Okay? Have you ever looked at your own pictures and gone back and like, oh, man, did I look weird? Or, oh, I used to be so cute then, right? Or maybe somebody else said that about you. Or maybe you look back in a yearbook. You look back at your yearbook and you're like, whoa, I had my hair like that. I wore that. I was that weight. You know, you're looking at all this going, whew, boy, have I changed. We were visiting Taylor University, I, th I, don't know, I can't remember, three, four weeks ago. I, time has slipped away from me now. Sometime this summer we went to Taylor University to visit that and a bunch of other colleges. Well, Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, that's where I graduated from. So we got into the, uh, the missions office. We're sitting there waiting for our uh, council to come out and meet with Colin and take us on a tour and everything. And I found all these yearbooks. I'm going, oh, i got to have my yearbook in here somewhere. So I'm looking around. It's like, not my graduating year. Oh, but there's one that maybe I would have been a sophomore. Pulled it open, and it's like, wow. That's what I look like my sophomore year. Colin does a quick snapshot and then Snapchat. I don't know. He just sort of sends out like, maybe he did. Maybe he just he sent a text to me and everything. It's like, dude, don't do that. But anyway, I'm looking back at that saying, I've changed. Let me hear you say praise God. <laughs> because we don't want to be the way we were 25 years ago or 20 years ago or even five years. We don't want that as much as like, I wish I could go back. No, you don't. 
No, you don't, okay? There might have been some great things back in the day, okay? But back in the day, some of you were there. Some of us had the haircuts that we don't want to talk about, you know, the uh, business in the front, party in the back, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, we had that hair that, whew, anyway, um, we don't want to go back on certain things. And here's the thing. Can the same thing be said about you spiritually? Can the same thing be said about you spiritually? Can you sit here and go, man, I've changed five years ago. I hope you can say that. I hope you can say, I remember five years ago or 10 years or 20 years ago or two years ago, I used to be. I once was, but now I'm different. I'm growing up in Christ. I hope you can say it. Look at verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm. Let me hear you say stand firm. Circle those two words if you've got it in your Bible. Might be a different translation. Goes on to say, don't drift. Let me hear you say, don't drift. Circle those two words too. Stand firm. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Paul says, listen, listen, listen. I want you to grow spiritually, but there's a couple things that got to happen here. First of all, you've got to stand firm. You've got to stand firm. Now, if I would, I'd bring a young man up here who maybe has had some football or athleticism in their life and say, I want you to stand firm right here. I want to try to knock you over. But we all know if I did that, I would be the one that got hurt. So we're not going to do that, okay? But if you can imagine, you see uh, football season's coming, and here's, if, you, if you're in the football, a lot of stand firm is taking place. If you're on the line, you are blocking. You're holding your ground. Nobody's getting past me. There's always to stand firm. It's always about footing. It's always about leverage. You've got to stand firm. You cannot get pushed around. These are the same thing that Paul is saying to us spiritually. Quit getting pushed around. You're letting the world push you around and have its way with you, get leverage on you. Stand firm in your faith. Do you really know what you believe in? Do you really know God? Are you really maturing? If so, stand firm in it. And then he says this, don't drift. When we were um, um, out on the beach, um, the waves were really huge. They had had that hurricane that never reached inland, but it brought in a tropical storm. So it brought in a lot of clouds and some rain and some big waves, which was really fun, okay? Thing was, with those big waves was a strong tide. And the riptide currents were heavy and there was warnings, be careful. But we noticed as we were out in these waves and getting splashed around, we went off the beach and went into the water here. But after only even 10, 15 minutes of waves crashing, we're like, hey, and we look back and where's Jenny? She's not there. She's way down there on the beach. The tide had and drifted and pulled us so far from where we had started. And so the boys, we'd walk back through the current and the waves and it's like, it was hard and tough to go back against that tide, against that current, to get back to where we were so that we'd eventually get drifted back down to where we were again. That happens in this world. So when we get out into the world, the world loves to grab you and just drag you and drift you away from where Christ has you. And Paul recognized that, and he says, stand firm, don't drift. Too often we compromise in our faith we say, well, it's, it's okay. No, it's not okay. As we move from this infancy stage 
in our Christian walk. We, we learn to walk, right? We love watching little kids when they first walk. Parents, you know, when you first have the babies, and it's like, oh, it's so cute, and you, you can lay them down on the ground, and you can go to the room and get something back, and they're right there, right? And then they start rolling, and they start crawling, and then they start walking. It's like, oh, they're walking. They're like, they're walking. Where did he go? I, I put him down here. He's not here. He's walking. It's such an exciting, but a scary time too, right? Because when you start walking, you start falling, right? It's an exciting time, but guess what comes after all that? Well, then you get from that stage to a little bit more onto childhood. Check out uh, verses, chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, Colossians. Colossians 2, 6 to 7. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Well, let's keep growing, okay? Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thanks, thankfulness. How are you doing in growing your roots deep? How are you doing with letting your lives be built on him? Part of that infancy into childhood is a point in time where you say, it's, it's time to start going deep. Landon gave out a great message to the youth group on Wednesday night. He said, we're not soft. We're going deep. I'm going to challenge you spiritually. I said, yes! I love it. No more, well, let's talk about Noah's ark. How many animals went on? Okay. Oh, okay, that's, that's good to know, okay. But what does that have to do with salvation? What took place, you know? We're not going to grow if we stay in our spiritual diapers, okay? Sort of messy thought, right? Unless we continue to follow him. So we need to let our roots go down deep into him, let our lives be built on him, continue to follow him and walk with him. And as we do this, but check out what happens in verse 8. As you read in verse 8, don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, from evil powers of this world, and not from Christ. Paul says, I know you're growing now, you're walking, good, but be careful you don't get pulled away. Ooh, be careful somebody doesn't lead you in the wrong direction. It's like we have this new life again, we're born again, we're infants in Christ, we start to grow, but growing up is tough, right? Here's what I want you to do. Consider one of the most awkward moments in your life growing up, okay? Some of you have spent many hours in counseling, spent a lot of money to get rid of those thoughts, okay? Um, I'm going to ask you to revisit them for just a second, don't dwell there, okay? But what was the most awkward stage growing up? For me, it was in kindergarten. I love kindergarten. Show and tell, nap time, food. That's the way life should be, right? Okay? Elementary was pretty cool, too. Because elementary, simple arithmetic. Learning to spell, that's good. Recess, king of the hill. Elementary was good. College, best four bachelor years of my life, okay? I love college. Great friendships made. Learned a lot about independence and growing up in Christ. I mean, stretching was awesome, okay? Adulthood, loving that too. Junior to senior high, adolescence, awkward stage. Don't want to go back. Don't want to go back to that, okay? To me, that was probably the most awkward part of growing up in my life. There's still more to come, okay? I, I've, I've found that every part of my life, there's this new stage, and it's always a challenge. But if you'd say, would you go back to any, would you ever go back to junior and senior high? I, it would not, I could say no quicker than you can finish the sentence, okay? There's no way. 
Think of, think of back for some of you, like now, junior and senior years, you're there, okay? For the rest of us, let me just remind you the pain, the trouble, the awkwardness, the doubt, the fear of confidence, okay? The lack of confidence, relationships. Relationships, okay, difficult and confusing. Fitting in is so hard. You wanna know why there's so many gangs? It's because they wanna fit into something and they can't find anybody that accepts them so they become a part of a gang because gangs don't care about you, just be a part of it. There's so much that's going on. The body is changing, puberty, puberty, okay? All this collides, right? With an immature mind and poor choices and reckless decisions get made and a twisted and painful occurs and sometimes tragedy takes place. Welcome to adolescence. And we say it's the best years of your life. Liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? That's all I got to say about that. For many adolescents, because you ask junior hires as much as they love that stage, when they get to their junior, senior year, ask them what they're looking forward to. I can't wait till I go to college. I can't wait till I get out of school. I can't wait to be done with this. They get to that point in time. There's a, there's a reason why they call it senioritis, right? And here, that's probably another issue where you're taking this immature body trying to make adult-like choices is what it boils down to. And that's tough. Adolescence is a tough stage. They just want to grow up, but they're not there yet. And we say, oh, my child is so mature. Bear with me on this. Knowledge is not maturity. The use of knowledge is maturity. Because a lot of times we mistake, we look at kids today and we say, my kid is so mature. Why is that? They know so much. That doesn't mean they're mature. But today, thanks to the, we call this the IY generation, by the way. We used to be called the Y generation. They're the IY generation. I in front of it meaning internet. iPhone, iPod, I everything. Okay? We have a very Highly I generation now. Vast knowledge, pouring in all the time, overwhelming them. And we've now mistaken thinking our kids are growing up. They're not. They've just been overwhelmed with a vast amount of knowledge and information. Okay. Leads to a lot of other issues. Adolescence. Ay, ay, ay. One word to describe that. Let me hear you say ouch. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Because you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, okay. So in a similar way, I'm going to wrap this up. In a similar way, when we're going with Christ, we tend to make immature decisions. We are confused with attitudes and decisions, so we're sort of like an adolescent stage of Christianity. We're like, I feel like I know what I'm doing, but then we make a mistake, and it's like, what just happened? What just happened? We're going to dig into Colossians chapter 3 next week and talk about this more. Because here's what it comes down to. Paul says this, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you're also complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every rule and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You were buried with Christ, you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Listen, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Boom, spiritual rebirth. Canceled the record of charges against you, took it away by nailing it to the cross in this way. He disarmed his spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So once again, Paul says, make sure this. There are awkward parts of growing up, but Christ will help you through it. Christ will help you through your adolescent spiritual life. Colossians 3 
Verse 42 says this, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor on the right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So what does Paul say? Here's the first step. I want you all to get this, okay? Here's the first step in getting through adolescence. Get your focus on Christ. I want you to gaze, G-A-Z-E, at Jesus. And I want you to glance, G-L-A-N-C-E, at your problems. Too many of us gaze at our problems and glance at Jesus. We need to gaze at Jesus and glance at our problems. Let's get our focus on. It seems so simple. Why is it then it's so hard that when problems come up, we just focus on the problem, focus on the problem. We're just gazing at that problem, gazing at the issues that are coming on, and we forget, oh yeah, Jesus, we glance. Okay, and we come back to the problems. Let's reverse that. Gaze at Jesus, gaze at Jesus, and then glance at the problems. We live in a fallen and dark world, so it's natural for us to gaze at the problems. And problems, you know, we get to proclaim them, and then we post them. And, and that's, you know, social media, I mean, that's a great place to get depressed. It really is. I know some of you enjoy social media, and I pop on, on there now and then. But listen, and I'm not saying it's just because of there's negative posts, because there's a lot of awesome posts out there, too. A lot of you post great things on Facebook, okay? It really is good. But here's the problem with it. Sometimes we look and we then we compare our lives to that where it's always less. And guess who's feeling bad? Now I'm gazing at my problems again. Unplug, please. Go ahead and glance at it. But gaze at Jesus. Get your eyes on him. Jesus called us to live supernaturally. Let me hear you say supernaturally. I'll let it roll off your tongue. Here we go. Supernaturally. He's called us to live supernaturally because he's empowered us to do so. As Pastor Ben said, God's given us his very spirit. His very spirit lives in us, able to live beyond ourselves and our natural tendencies. It's hard work. You know why? Because it's unnatural and it's countercultural. It doesn't seem easy because the culture pushes against it. The devil pushes against it. So we've got to push back. So we're going to stand firm. We're not going to drift. We're going to start putting our gaze on Jesus. And next week when you show up, we're going to talk about putting on the right clothes. Oh, fashion show next week. Awesome. Be here, okay? Worship team, would you please come forward? As we continue in the Colossians and growing up, here's the deal. And I'll just sort of give you a a pre-thought on this. It's simply choosing the right clothes to wear when you're growing up, right? I'll tell you right now, you look at my closet back in the day, you'd say, you need help, Rex. And I would say, yep. Okay? For some reason, when I go into stores, I can't find things I like to wear. You know why that is? Because they don't say 1980 on them or 1970-something. You know, it's like, man, why don't they have that anymore? It's like, because you're so out of style, Rex. Oh. So I go to my wife. I say, can you help me out in picking something maybe? I don't know. I can't pick the right ones. Okay? So I need help sometimes. We're going to find out about that. Okay? And I wear what's comfortable. Why? Because it feels good. But you know what? Sometimes feeling good isn't the right thing to wear. We do that spiritually. We need help, and we need somebody to point out that maybe what we're wearing isn't the right thing. We're going to talk about next week stopping and looking in that mirror, because here's the deal. Guess who picks the clothes in your house and puts them on? You do. You walk into your closet. You get to choose what you're going to wear. Isn't that cool? You don't walk in your closet or pull open your drawer, and the clothes say, pick me, wear me, wear me. You know? That doesn't happen, does it? 
it's okay to smile on that one. Some of you are like, are we okay to smile? Yeah, because if you really thought that through and your socks are waving at you, little sock puppets, I want to wear you on the left foot today. Then you're really enjoying to this morning's service. Okay, but some of you are like, I'm not going to smoke. That's so irreligious, okay? All right, sorry. I'm going back on vacation. So here's the deal. Your clothes are not picking you. You choose your clothes. In the same way spiritually, guess who gets to choose their attitude and how they live for Christ? You do. Kindness doesn't walk around saying, wear me. You get to walk around saying, do I get to wear kindness today? We'll talk about more of that next week. Growing up is tough, but we're going to find in Colossians 3 some really awesome ways to grow up. And it's so good. It's so good. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for Paul, all that he went through, sitting in prison, writing a letter to people you really didn't know, but he knew through your spirit. And your spirit spoke through him and said, hey, wow, let me tell you about this spiritual birth that you've all gone through, and it's all because of Jesus, so don't think that you did it. Jesus did it, and now that you're growing up, it's tough. Oh, boy, is it tough, because you're going to hear a lot of things that are going to make you want to go the wrong direction. So let's, let's, first of all, let's just stand firm. Let's stand firm. Let's not drift. And then let's get our gaze on Jesus. Let's get our eyes on him, fixed on him. Focus is there. Stop glancing at Jesus. So God, as we close this, uh, this morning, we sing to you. Thank you, God, for this new birth we have. New life in you. It should be celebrated. It should be awesome. But we, sometimes we... <laughs> We let the problems become the big uh, focus, and that's wrong. Because we forget it's you, supreme. Thank you, God, for being supreme. Thank you, God, that you are going to give us the ability through your spirit to grow up and to let our roots grow deep. Thank you, God. We love you now. We sing to you because you deserve all the song of